Carl didn't know the topic of today's uh, uh, sermon, but it's about God and the wonderful things that he's done for us. And what a song to begin with that. Jesus is all the world to me. My life, my joy, my all. My strength from day to day, without him I would fall. When I'm sad to him I go, no other one can cheer me so. God. God the Son. God the Father. God the Holy Ghost. Um, Just think for, for a little while. Throw all of those cares of the world that plague us all about the negative things that we encounter, about the negative things that we face, about the negative things that we have to straighten out, about the, the worries and the cares, but just forget all of that. We're in a world that God made for us. We're in His kingdom. We're blessed of all people. And before I go any further, I had a thought, you know, few there be that find it. Now, by the way, I don't, I don't expect I'm going to teach you a lot today. I want to remind you of some things. You already know everything I'm going to say. Few there be that find it. How, how few will that be? What will that number be relative to those that take the, the broad way and leadeth unto destruction? But you have taken the pathway that leads unto life. If you think about it this way, think of the population of this world today. You know, around 8 million, but, but you know, it, it, a little more, a little less, but let's say 8 million. A, tri- a billion, 8 billion, excuse me. Eight billion. <laughs> yeah, eight billion. If you think of that as a number, and uh, we've got some mathem- mathematicians in our audience that can think about this a whole lot more than me, but eight billion carries with it an eight, and how many zeros? Nine. Nine zeros after that. Okay, that's a big number. Uh, and and didn't think of this before, but you know we have many people in the world worth a whole lot, you know, worth several billion more than that, so far as money goes. Okay, think about now the few that have found the way unto life, and that includes you. The few that have found the way unto life in the world today, and. And, and, and we don't know, of course, but let's say somewhere between two and three million people are Christians today. And let's use the word or the number three million just as an example. It'll be somewhere around that, we think. Okay, three million has how many zeros behind it? Six. Six zeros. Eight billion has nine zeros. Three million has six zeros. So to get an idea of a comparison of the few that find it relative to the world population, take all of those zeros behind the three, take them off. That's six of them gone. Take six off of the eight billion number, which leaves 8,000. Eight with three zeros is 8,000. Compared to 
Three. Eight thousand compared to three is the percentage of those few that find it, which includes you. That percentage is so infinitesimal, it don't even come close to one-tenth of one percent, I guess. How fortunate are we? How fortunate are we? You have found a way because you wanted to. You wanted to. You read God's Word, somebody taught you, you understood it, and you obeyed the Gospel and became a part of the kingdom, one of the few that find it. Let, let's think about God who set all this up. And, and th- there's not enough good adjectives to describe God. You know, the superlatives of adjectives. Magnificent, good, and good is, is not small. Superior, awesome, great, wise, love, he's patient, he's vengeful, he's jealous, graceful, he's always truthful, he's providential, he is omnipotent, all power. All means leave nothing out, he can do anything, all power. Omniscient means that he knows everything. Just incomprehensible to us, but omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipresent. He is everywhere. God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The only word I could come up with that might sum all of those up is unparalleled. There is no other. There is no other. He is the only one, the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And, uh, you know, we wonder at times, you know, why, why are we here? God, we know God created us. Uh, well, most of the world don't believe that, but uh, we know He did. You're the few that found it and understand and know that and accept it and cherish it. Why are we here? Well, he tells us why we're here. And Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen sums it up. Here the conclusion of the whole matter. Thinking about all of that and everything we encounter, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment and every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. We're here for a single purpose. To do what God told us to do. And you found that way. And you know what it is. An, an, awesome, an awesome being that uh, is unparalleled in all aspects of thought. Unparalleled in in, in power, knowledge, presence, truth, and love. He loved us enough to, tr- to, to do this. What, in your mind, is the most significant thing that God has done for you? The most significant thing that He's done for mankind? 
done. You're getting ahead of me. <laughs> uh, but first, um, and, and, I, and, I, and I, I will discuss some things here that uh, that are my thoughts. I don't subscribe to these as doctrine. I don't subscribe to this as dogmatic. But I've learned in life that we need to be logical and reasonable and sensible when we think about something and what is logical and reasonable and sensible. We know some facts, and let me read some of those to you. Before the world began... Before the world began, there was an eternal realm that God the Father lived in, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and and so far as we know, angels lived in that world before the world began. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses starting with verse 2, Grace to be, be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So before the world was ever created, he wanted us to love him. to be without blame. In the book of John, chapter 17, and starting in verse 22, And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. And this is Christ talking in his prayer to God about mankind. Verse 23, I and them and thou and me, that they may be perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Verse 24, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou hast lovest me before the foundation of the world. A lot of thought went into this process of the world before it was created. In 1 Peter, starting in chapter 1, verse 18, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed, with corruptible things, a silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and spot. With the precious blood of Christ, we were redeemed as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. God knew what was going to happen before the world was ever created. In the book of Ephesians, starting in uh, verse 8 of chapter 3, Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given me that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. To the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Next verse. According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
God knew everything that was going to happen even before he created and set it in motion. In the work of Titus, some other things happened. Some other things happened. Uh, Titus has one chapter and it's starting in verse 4. For these are certain... For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how the Lord, having saved people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them but believed not. And angels, and the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved an everlasting change under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Matthew chapter 25. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Again, we know those things. Before the foundation of the world, God had massive plans that were going to be put into place. And uh, now now comes Ron's thoughts about that. Again, not dogmatic on this, this process that I'm about to relate to you, but think about it. What makes sense? What is reasonable? What uh, What is logical? What just according to everything we know, We know that God, through His Son, created all things. Now we know that. I'm not. I'm dogmatic about that. <laughs> he says He did in heaven and in earth. That included the heavenly realm of angels. The Son created everything in heaven and earth, and I think that's talking about not just the uh, atmospheric heaven, but uh, the heaven of heavens, the fourth heaven. Some angels sinned. Prior to the creation of the earth, during this uh, this realm of God's existence in eternity, in the spiritual realm, <clears throat> some angels sinned, including the devil angel. They were created and placed in that. Uh, they were created in heaven. These angels lived there. That's where they were in heaven with God. But some of them sinned, including the devil angel. God cast them out of heaven into darkness to be reserved there until the final day when they will be judged. Knowing what was going to come. Angels had no say about being in heaven. That's where they were created. That's where they they lived. They were there with God. They didn't have any choice about it. Uh, they didn't have to do anything to be there. That's where they were created. But some of them sinned. And he cast them out. It's my thought that, and again, just my thought, uh, but, but think about this. God wanted a being that wanted to be in heaven and would have a choice about it. God developed a plan to create such a being, and that being was man was created in the image of God. 
but also knowing that no created being could be as pure and perfect as himself, the plan also included a sanctification process for man to become sanctified as though he were uh, without sin. Man would be created in his image, which means that they would be a spiritual being with an eternal soul. And that soul would be the cocoon to house the heart and intellect of that individual. And as you know, that soul resides in our bodies. We are a living soul. We are a spiritual being, that soul that resides in this physical body. Within that soul that resides in this body, part of it is our intellect and our heart. Out of the heart cometh the thoughts of man. So that soul that resides in us is a spiritual element that will always exist, never go out of existence. The plan, and, and what else relative to in his image, I, I just don't know. It doesn't say that I can tell anywhere, but we're created in God's image. Um, that is, we'll have a soul, that, uh, and we know Christ had a soul. So God's plan included that his beloved son would be the sacrifice and the propitiation for man's disobedience. Before the world ever began, all of this was planned that his son would come and redeem us through his life. The plan included the creation of this man to be an empirical being which required an empirical realm. If he's going to create a being that was an empirical being, he had to have somewhere to put that being. So he created the empirical realm or the physical realm of existence, including the universe, including the solar system, including the earth that was just the right distance from the sun with all of the elements that uh, sustain our uh, physical life on the planet. The empirical heavens and earth were part of the plan. That is the solar system, uh, not solar, but the the wind above our heads, the atmosphere and the uh, realm of the universe beyond that. And I'm I'm convinced that he created the Hadean realm at the same time. That Hadean realm would be the place of de- departed souls. When man dies, that soul doesn't die. It goes to the Hadean realm, either in paradise or Tartarus. So I'm convinced he created that at the time or before he created the empirical realm. He's probably created it when he threw those angels in it. That's where they were in the bad part of the Hadean realm. Now, I don't know what the form of angels were. I don't know. Uh, Evidently, they were not created in his image. What form they were, I don't know, and it doesn't say. They were just a different being, a heavenly being. Uh, The plan also included the process of life and death in the Hadean realm where man's soul would reside following his physical death to remain there until the great day of judgment. At the same time, he's going to judge the angels that he threw out. In summary, just about everything we know and see, including the word which shows us how to live and pleases God was included in this plan, formulated in the spiritual realm of eternity. All of this was devised 
before he created the physical environment and created man. It was set into motion when, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So these plans that were developed prior to creation were all in place. God knew what was going to happen. He knew that his son would have to come. He knew how we would live. He knew everything before it would happen. There. Just, again, just my thought. Uh, and I don't know of anything in the Bible that would contradict that, that idea of the, the thought and the plan before the world was created. Everything points to that plan being developed before the world was created. Um, now, what has God done for us? Well, he created us. He created us. He wanted a being that wanted to be with him. He created the environment that we live in in this physical realm. This physical realm that we live in, how wonderful is it? How wonderful is it uh, to sustain our lives? You know, I like to eat. And boy, there's some good food. Uh, uh, and He created the, the concept of marriage. How great is that? The concept of families. He created uh, everything that we know. And you know, as you know, the, that, that infinitesimal percentage of Christians are pretty much the only ones that believe that. The rest of those uh, believe that uh, it just happened through the process of evolution. The world doesn't believe the, what God has told us. They can't reason enough to know that there is no way this could come about by itself. This couldn't happen. It had to be created. It's the only logical, reasonable solution to why are we here and how did this happen. It was created by a superior being and that being was God. But the world don't believe that. The devil learned a long time ago that people would believe a lie. And he learned that the bigger the lie, it was easier to convince people of it. The bigger lie was the concept, well, there many of them, just many, many of them. But uh, one of them is this concept of evolution. How could you even think that? It makes no sense. It's not reasonable. It's, it's just wild thinking. Creation, on the other hand, is very reasonable and very logical and very true. Um, we studied this morning in the, the Sunday school class about the concept of the premillennial reign. The devil knows that the bigger the lie, it's easier for people to be convinced of it. Uh, uh, the concept of the rapture before that and a physical earth, a physical kingdom on the earth. It's, it's, uh, it's just not true. But most of the world believe that. Um, God d developed this world uh, for us to live in. Now all the beautiful and the wonderful things of it entice us to think that that's all there is. 
but it's well beyond that. God created that for us to enjoy while we're here. Uh, but God doesn't tempt us. We tempt ourselves with the, the things that uh, we want to enjoy and do and think about and uh, as opposed to what God wants us to do. Uh, angels didn't have that privilege. They didn't have the privilege of making a decision about where their eternity would be. They were created in heaven. We were created here. We have a choice to make a decision about where we want to be in the eternal realm. And we talked this morning about the spiritual realm and uh, and what that will be like. Uh, and uh, we do, I don't think we can... You know, we look we look around us, and we see just uh, unbelievable beauty in a lot of things. Even the wildflowers, how beautiful are wildflowers! Not to mention the gorgeous gardens of uh, that people have in the world, uh, and and some of the trees, and uh, and even the animal life. Uh, you know, some people are animal lovers, and I'm one of them. Uh, how great is it to have a, a, a pet that uh, that you enjoy? Uh, just all around us is is the world that God set us to, in to enjoy, and He created this for us to enjoy. But to keep in mind, this is temporal and not permanent. Okay, now back to what in the world is the what is the most significant thing that God has done for us? Uh, what is the most significant thing that God has done for mankind? Well, creation—you uh, got to think that's uh, that's right up there among the uh, among the, the categories of the top things. Uh, all of this that we see, and and things beyond our imagination, and you know, I'm intrigued with the uh, the the universe and the size of the universe, and uh, it, it's just well beyond us but God created God knows all the details of everything that we have and it's made up these tiny particles you know and you know the atom and the subatom elements everything is made up of that the physical realm how many of those things are there well it's uncountable it's a number but uh, when, when you look around and see all of creation that God for us it's just it just you know the grandeur of it. Uh, there's some places in this world that uh, the, the physical realm is just unbelievable. And of course, uh, you know, I mentioned the family. You know, how, how great is it we have families and uh, and marriages and uh, and brothers and sisters and uh, and not to mention the, the family of the kingdom. How great is that? Just wonderful beyond description. God's interaction of mankind, uh, there's so many of those things that uh, where God has interacted to us that are benefits to mankind uh, that were great in his doing. Uh, you know, the dispensations of his dealing with mankind uh, dealt with the heads of families and then Moses and the prophets and now through his word through, from Christ and the Holy Ghost. Uh, how, how great is that? That it's got to be up there among some of the most significant things that God has done for us. He's given us what He thought right here. 
some of the other things when he took care of the children of Israel and uh, uh, sent them basically down to Egypt to live during that rat drought period and you know with the story of uh, how uh, Joseph went down and became a ruler over uh, second to Pharaoh only and saved Egypt as well as the rest of the world I was just reading an article uh, uh, just this past week they were digging in, in Mount Kilimanjaro, which is uh, eastern Africa down below Egypt, two or three countries down. Uh, and the, uh, they were digging in the snow and ice packs. And they determined several thousand years ago that there had to be a drought in the world because there were sand particles in, in that ice down several, several thousand years ago. Well, we know there was. God told us there was. When Joseph was in Egypt, there was a drought over the earth, and uh, and uh, uh, most of it uh, dried up. Farms couldn't produce uh, eat, so that's why the children of Israel went down there and got grain and finally stayed there. Uh, anyway, God planned all that and took care of them. Uh, and you know, when he, when they came out of Egypt, have you thought about the parting of the Red Sea? That's just, I know these are miraculous events. When God set all this in motion, he developed some, uh, some natural laws. And we can't change those natural laws. We just can't, period. Uh, but God can and does and has. Uh, what about uh, the ten plagues of Egypt? What about the, part, uh, the parting of the Red Sea? You know, if you, if you thought about that... We don't know how deep uh, the Red Sea was where they parted it. Uh, you know, you can read today about the the the, uh, the the Red Sea, and its dark, its deepest part is you know seven to nine thousand feet deep, but its shallow part could be as much as one hundred and sixty feet deep. Well, they probably went across in the shallow part. I don't know. They could have gone across on the nine thousand feet. I don't know. Whatever it was. When Moses parted that sea, if you can just imagine this, imagine this. We're talking about a group of people that were anywhere from two to three million in number. 600,000 footmen, which means ages 20 to 60, plus their families. So there had to be probably between two and three million people, plus everything they owned and all the stuff they brought from Egypt, plus the cattle that they had. They didn't leave without taking their cattle. They took them too. When that ocean was parted or that sea was parted, walls of water, let's say 160 feet high. Can you imagine? And they walked on dry land when it was parted. Can you put yourself in that group of people? Two to three million. And it had to be a string of people miles long. You know, it just wasn't just around a block. It was a mile, you know, miles long of people because of the number and the cattle they had. It took them a long time to get through that ocean with walls of water. Can you imagine that? It happened. It happened. And, of course, when Pharaoh and his army chased behind them, uh, they were getting so close, uh, God took the chariot, the wheels off the chariots, and the horses had to drag the chariot, which slowed them down. And they were miles long also. 
following them. Uh, there were 600 chariots plus all the horsemen plus all the footmen, etc. I don't know the total number that was following them, but they were, they were a lot of Egyptians. Well, when the children of Israel got out and only the Egyptians were in in that seabed with walls of water, you know, what do you think those those soldiers thought when they were chasing the Israelite people through that valley of water? What do you think they thought? Well, it didn't take long that uh, their thought process stopped because killed all of them, every last one of them. Uh, what about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And I don't know their other names. Uh, they were thrown in that fiery furnace. You know, that thing had to be heated to probably over a thousand degrees. The men that threw them in there got so close that killed them. They couldn't. They they died by throwing them in there. But they weren't even singed. And Nebuchadnezzar looked in and said. There were four, four men in there. One of them looked like the Son of God. Now, how he knew that, I don't know. But he said, one of them looks like the Son of God. I'm convinced Nebuchadnezzar was converted. I, I don't know that he was. It doesn't say he was, but I, I, I'm convinced he was. Uh, and, and, and many, many other things. And uh, I'm doing what I shouldn't do, and I'm running out of time, so I'll forget about some of these other things. But you can just think of all the wonderful things that God has done for mankind, even in our lives today. He's sustaining our lives. Everything we have, we owe to God. Oh, we worked hard for it, and we we saved for it, and I understand all that, but it was God that, that did it for us. We didn't do it ourselves. And and Carl's already said, what is the most significant thing that God has done for mankind? Of all the things that he's done, the plan to develop, the idea that uh, Christ has gone to prepare a home for us, uh, that the plan of salvation was put in place, this world was created for us, all of these magnificent things, the most significant thing in my mind that God has done for us. You know, the plan of salvation included the resurrection. What would we do without a resurrection? What would we do without a plan? What would we do with the most significant thing that God has done for us is providing His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And that occurred at His death. At His death. Uh, in Matthew chapter 27, now from the starting in verse 45, now from the sixth hour there was darkness over the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, Lala, Lama Sabathani, that is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, the, This man called for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave it to the ring. And the rest said, Let uh, be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. Uh, 
From the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. From the sixth hour to the ninth hour. First Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 24. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us. Leave us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Verse 24 is one that I just can't get over. That's very, very telling. Very telling. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 24 Who in his who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed in his own body he bore our sins while on the tree does that mean that he was made sin no Physically, no. Spiritually, no. But spiritually, Second Corinthians chapter five, verses seventeen through twenty-four. One. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the world of reconciliation. Now when we were ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead you be reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. While... If, if you think about that, and uh, just look at, uh, uh, I apologize for the time, but look at um, Romans chapter 6. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that your old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin." The conclusion I gain from all of this is that three-hour period when darkness was over the face of the earth. And he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know, we could read that and it mean the same thing. My God, my God, you have forsaken me. Why? I'm convinced that's what it says. I know Psalm 22 verse 1 says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And David is preaching that. Basically, it's nothing more than a uh, prophecy of what would happen. God could not be 
as close to Christ during that three-hour period that he always was. Christ was made sin for us, not that he was given to be sin, but he was the sacrifice for the sins that we have. This says we're baptized into his death. Spiritually, we're transmitted through the eternity of time back to that cross when we're baptized. We're baptized into his death, and he forgave our sins at that time. He took on the sins away from us during that three-hour period. And not only us, but every person in the world that has obeyed God. That's all the, the people who lived before Christ lived and all the people that will live afterward during that three-hour period of time. It wasn't uh, just a wholesale uh, remission of sins. It was individual sins that he remitted for us during that three-hour period of time. We can't comprehend the significance of that event because it was so drastic. And I know that his scourging and the cross... Uh, the crucifixion process was is more than horrible, but many many people have been been crucified. I don't mean to make light of it, not even in the least. But only one person could bear our sins in his own body while on the tree, and that was our Lord Jesus Christ. The most significant thing that God has done for us. If He hadn't done that, none of this other would mean anything. We couldn't go to heaven if he hadn't done that. But he did do that. And we were baptized into his death. Being free from sin at that point. Anyway, that's why um, it's my opinion that that is the most significant thing that God has done for us. Is allowing the death of his son to be the propitiation of our sins. And how glorious is that? As horrible as that was... That's the one element that makes us one of the few that we can have the home in eternity with God. That's the lesson. Uh, if uh, and it's, it's appropriate and that we have an opportunity uh, at the close of each sermon to allow people to, uh, if needed, to uh, let the congregation know that uh, they would like our prayers for whatever reason. You have that opportunity now as we stand and sing.